Matthew, I was reading the internet. Ooh, and do you want dangerous. to know what I came across? An <laughs> article tell. posted by the one and only Craig Dealey. Russian TV to air its own patriotic retelling of Chernobyl story. God, God bless him. Yeah, I actually, you know, it's funny. I got a, a sneak peek look at that, and I had no idea that Vladimir Putin was the one himself to put his hands on the nuclear rods and suck the power out of them, saving uh, all of Russia. And there was a, a CIA spy there that caused the whole meltdown, did you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Infiltrated their <laughs> nuclear power plant. To cause a meltdown. <laughs> yep. I mean, the CIA's done plenty of shisty shit. Oh, come on, don't give no them too doubt. much credit. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> They're like, we never make mistakes, comrade. This is clearly foreign interference from our great enemy. Yeah. <laughs> foreign demon. Yeah. Uh, boy, open wide, oh earth, Mr. Anderson. Starts off right where we left off in this horror oh, element sure does. of being in the dark with dosimeters just crackling away and our three divers in the water doing their best to get those World War II crank flashlights fired up again. Oh, they're still like, like dusting off Nazi blood on those things. Yeah, no shit, right? I love, I love those, uh, like crank anything, crank radios. They're oh, just cool so cool. Hell. Yeah. But in this Her, situation, oh God, yeah. <laughs> that were the only source of light you have, which, uh, you know, I did enjoy the third episode of the official Chernobyl podcast with the, you know, the show's creator, but I did, it I was didn't listen to, to hear, it. didn't listen to that one? Nope. The most interesting, well, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but one of the details he was like, yeah, we actually chose for them to have crank flashlights in the scene because in real life they didn't have shit. Like it would just been completely pitch black and it's like, you know, it's an unfilmable thing oh, for right. a television show. Yeah, but they were like, it. in real life, they just, these guys knew the layout of the pipes so well, they just followed certain pipes they knew would take them to the right place. Like, God that's damn, cool. that's yeah. insane. Yeah. Oh, so well, terrifying. What are your overall impressions this week? Well, uh, thoroughly impressed. Great episode. It's fucking excellent. The show has been consistently excellent, all three episodes. Uh, what a fucking bummer. Uh, absolutely. The saddest one so far. I mean, good God. I mean, basically the title of it is Earth Opening Up to Swallow All of the Dead That Have Been Produced by This Horrible Disaster. You, you, know, when, you know when bros kind of get together and they're like, oh, no, it's worse, drowning or burning to death. I think... <laughs> Radiation wins. I'm, yeah, you know, I gotta say. I mean, you're I burning to death for weeks. Yeah, man. Jesus Christ. Horrific. It's horrific. It's unbelievable. And, and it's, it's, I think it's important that they showed it. You know, I always wondered, it's always going to be a challenge when you're dealing with real people. Right. And, and, you're, and you're telling a, I mean, obviously it is a, it is a, it's taking creative liberty, so to speak, but you, 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 I think it's important to show the devastation because what one of the cool things about this show and something it's done really well is that up until this point, we haven't really seen like physical devastation of people. Just a lot of talk about what may happen or what is probably going to happen. Right. And I think you can do that for a while, but you're going to get to a point where you want the viewer to sort of have a visceral reaction to the possibility of what happened and is the possibility of what could happen. So we've been, we've been being told by all these experts, Legasoff and all these guys, that there's going to be terrible consequences for this. And I think it's important that they start rolling those out. And I know 
they did it pretty extensively this week, as we see some of the firefighters and some of the control room engineers, quote, end quote, engineer, um, succumbing to their injuries. And uh, it's really brutal. It's, uh, it's rough. Uh, I don't know, man. You, you, wouldn't you hope that, um, wouldn't you hope that they just blasted you in the head, like with a gun? God, at a certain point. Right. I know I saw, I didn't get to like go dive into the whole thing, but I, there was a, one of our listeners posted an article about the person who survived the longest with an acute, you know, Chernobyl, you know, directly in the reactor room level of radiation exposure. Uh, and he was kept alive 83 days. And it's actually been seen as pretty wildly unethical because both him and his family uh, didn't want it. And he, I think he was um, a survivor of the Japanese uh, uh, big n- nuclear disaster. I think the Fukushima one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that poor guy kept alive 83 days in the same condition of these guys. And, I, and I, you know, the show doesn't quite lay it all out, but I think these guys were only alive for a couple weeks after the Chernobyl. Yeah. That, and it that, looks excruciating. It, it, it really is. But I, I love the choice to sort of dive in right where we left off. I, I think that was a right. good play. You kind of like, have to. You, <laughs> you left you, it basically you, on a cliffhanger. You do, you do. And you, but you know how sometimes shows will then go to these other characters doing their other things and make you sit on it. You know, mm-hmm. like Walking Dead. I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Versus just saying we need to open here. And, and it's because it matters so much to the main through line, which is, of course, <laughs> the reactor melting down. Right, right. And, you know, and I think it's also important because just... Mm, Putting this into a narrative and in, in, into a episodic format like we have here, it's you know it's history. So to make a cliffhanger based on his, history, you're like, well, the answer's out there, and so you can't dangle that like, oh, ooh, who knows what's going to happen for very long. It, it's kind of like you kind of just have to get back into it and resolve what happens next. Um, because in truth, these guys are successful and and they they make it out. They do. I'll tell you. This is a bit of a side tangent, but before we press on with more of this particular episode, I wanted to share, uh, first of all, two things. Number one, I went into a nuclear reactor rabbit hole, big time. Delightful. I I watched a ton of videos, and now I'm basically as qualified as Tuptanov, I think. As Homer Simpson. Yes, go ahead. (laughs) No, as Tuptanov, head engineer, 25 years old. (laughs) The The lady later in the episode, she's like, what? Yeah, she was pretty shocked. Yeah, uh, that's true though. What? He really was fucking twenty five. But but I think her point is kind of like the guy who was a shoe salesman, right? I think that I think that's the kind of point they were trying to make. A little, I'm not really sure. But I didn't quite understand the whole control rods thing. So uh, there's a couple of visual things on YouTube that really help. Essentially, what you what you see is. The control rods go into the moderator, which is the water, and what they do is they soak up a lot of these neutrons, like they they kind of stick to them to to stop the chain reaction from just going out of control. So it's kind of cool, like when you watch some of the visual effects of it. And I'm talking in very basic layman terms, clearly, but you you would see you would see like the splitting of the atom, so to speak, the the the, the, the prototypical way you see it drawn. And um, as they're bouncing around and increasing, that's what they do. They lift the control rods out, and then they put the control rods in. And I guess that's how they sort of control it. And that's really interesting, and it was cool to watch. And then, of course, the heat 
generates steam, which turns a turbine, which creates electricity. And that's kind of how it works. The difference is one's nuclear. What we use in a lot of places now is coal. But it's really crazy that these control rods play such a crucial role in keeping the reaction in check. Now, there's a ton of different fail-safes and a lot more complicated stuff going on here that I'm not talking about because I'm not qualified to. But there's a couple of cool YouTube videos. If you just type in like nuclear reactor... Um, how it works, watch some of the videos. It's really awesome. And then second story, shout out to Dave, listener of the show. Um, I hung out with Dave the other day and we watched a movie called The China Syndrome. Ooh, heard of, haven't seen it though. Do you know anything about it? I know it's like a hypothetical, you know, basically almost like a sci-fi story, right? About a a nuclear power station having a massive full-blown meltdown, right? It is kind of, It's, it's, um, it's not science fiction at all. It's just a, it, it's almost like a, here's something. It's like a what if. It's, yeah. a, it's a what if. And it comes out, it, it came out in 1979. So before Chernobyl. And dude, Oof. it's crazy. It's crazy to read about. How accurate is it? it? Dude, so much of the same shit they talk about in the China syndrome. So if you have a minute, I recommend watching it. It's 1979. Jack Lemon, he's amazing. Michael Ooh. Douglas is really good. He's young. Ooh. And Jane Fonda is good. Wow, damn, that's a yeah, cool cast. It is. It's a really good cast. It's super 70s. There's a kind of couple like goofy things, but you just get over it. But for the most part, the storytelling is really legit. And it's interesting because it's such an American take on the possibility, which is the interest of the company, right? Which is, mm-hmm. so essentially, essentially what happens is there's a bit of an issue. And then they want to proceed later. And Jane Fonda's character and Michael Douglas's character, they are... They're, they work for the media and they are, you know, old school, honest as trees are tall. We just want the truth kind of media people. And, and Jack Lemon runs the fucking facility and they, and then you start getting other interests involved and it gets, uh, it gets a little, uh, oh, Wilford Brimley's in it. And, Ooh. and it's really cool because they talk about the China syndrome is sort of just a, this like made up, they call it a fanciful term. Which just means, you know, the old, the old um, wives' tale, oh, if you keep digging, you'll end up in China, right? That, that stupid thing that people say sometimes. Dig all the right. way to China, right? That's like something Bugs Bunny would say. Exactly. Basically, it's, it's suggesting that if it melts down and it, and, and it drops into the groundwater, you're going to have problems. And I was like, holy shit, it's crazy to watch this having, having just watched two episodes of Chernobyl because I watch episode three today and now I'm reflecting on it even more. It's really cool because they talk about the control rods, they talk about this, they talk about all these different things. There's probably more focus on the technical and the Chernobyl series for sure, but it's really fascinating because of the, com- you know, it becomes a thing where it's like, oh, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't run this. And they're like, but we're going to lose a half a million dollars or, or, or $500 million a day or some, some crazy number. And the company's like, no, just go forward. We're fine. And it, and it becomes, it gets pretty crazy. It gets to be a pretty intense situation, but, um, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I, I think it's worth watching. Yeah. 1979. I never found myself bored and I was like, this is pretty compelling. And, and it, and it helps, it, 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 it essentially helps having watched Chernobyl. Right. Right. Yeah, but that's uh, cool. yeah. I'm definitely curious about that movie. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So um, it made me think a lot about Chernobyl, and I thought it was fascinating because it came out in 1979, so it came out before Chernobyl even happened. 
Right. And evidently, I was just reading about it as you were talking. Uh, the Three Mile Island accident happened uh, three days after the movie was released. Yes, yes. <laughs> or 12, so, 12 days. 12 days. Yeah. Later. So, anyway, a, a point about that the guy Dave I was watching it with, he's like in his 60s, early 60s. Um, it's a friend of the show's dad. And, um, and he, uh, you know, he does this movie night thing. And he was saying that people like audibly reacted to a specific line that I don't remember in the movie because of the three mile Island incident. Oh, crazy. Like the whole theater, like gasped. And I'm like, that is really fucking cool, man. Crazy. So if you want to expand a little bit, uh, into the fictional realm, of, uh, of this type of storytelling, check out China Syndrome. So free press, free shout out for them. <laughs> we'll, we'll take our check at Liberty Street Geek. <laughs> P.O. Box 3656, um, <laughs> Westport, Mass. 027, I know. So, um, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was really cool. And, and I just, and I think if people are listening to this show and they like the Chernobyl story, I think they'll get something from the China Syndrome because it's going to be heightened in their mind right now. Chernobyl is a much more intense retelling. I mean, that's China syndrome is a little more antiseptic. It's more, you know, it's more like politics, political sort of, drama. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's got that whole piece to it. But um, it's pretty cool. But anyway, our divers are successful, Matthew. They're successful. Uh, and one of the things I love about this scene and the contrast of, you know, these moments of Legasov and Sherbina sitting there waiting versus, you know, the guys come out, the divers make it out, fists fucking raised, the soldiers are applauding them, handing them fucking beer bottles. And it's like, you know, these guys for this, this is like a, a moment of light shining through and a, a small victory in this. And for the dudes in the know, like Legasov and Sherbina, it's still like, ooh, we still have so far to go. And we also know how dire their exposure was. Like they, they, they never get to enjoy these small victories. I mean, it's like a it's a moment for them of like, okay, good. At least we avoided that catastrophe. Now back to the other fifteen catastrophes we're going to have to solve. But yeah. it's such a great scene of you know just a little bit of camaraderie of hey, we we came out alive. We got this done. Crazy. Yep. Very crazy. And then um, yeah, they get a little round of applause. And ah, man, it's it's such an insidious thing because. It's not like the only thing you can really watch the, the only time, I think probably one of the most interesting things about the Chernobyl story and the retelling of that story by HBO is that it explores things a little differently in terms of sacrifice, because think of the things you see in storytelling with sacrifice, um, you see somebody, typically speaking, in, in some sort of uh, drama. You'll see mm-hmm. somebody literally step in front of a bullet for somebody. You'll see somebody say, no, I'll go down and I'll turn the thing off and, and I'll drown in the submarine. You see somebody go, I'll dive on the grenade or I'll, or I'll cross enemy lines and try to pull the guy out or, or I'll stay on this machine gun and, until it's out of bullets and then I will die or... I'll rush right. into the helicopter to, to rescue the downed pilots and fight off all the fucking guys, and then I'll die. What's crazy about this is you're, what you're really seeing is this odd, it, there's something just so haunting and dreadful about it because they come out, they get this round of applause, but we all know sitting here, we all know what's going to happen to these guys. And it's kind of fucking weird that it doesn't immediately happen. Like you would imagine a sacrifice of this type of, 
heroism is. You know, I, I fireman right. goes into a burning building and dies getting a kid out or, or, or just dies trying to go in, you know, just this kind of thing. Uh, a man confronts right. a crazed shooter and gets shot and saves lives and shoots him. You know what I mean? It, this is, you're not dead yet. Now you just wait around to die. I mean, that yeah. is a mind fuck. Absolutely. And I think, honestly, as this show goes on, you know, we've watched three episodes now. Uh, at the end of it, you know, I mean, there's a lot of just great filmmaking and performance and even cinematography. It's all really, really good. I mean, there's a reason the show has been as popular as it is and as highly rated as it is. But I think my single favorite artistic choice thus far, especially by the end of this episode, is the music. The music is our reminder of the monster that's there that you can't see. Because even in the, you know, it's actually these two scenes back to back, really, um, where first we see the divers coming up and, you know, they, they are successful. And we have this moment that would normally be at least, like I was saying, a crack of light. Ah, good. We're, we are, we've made at least some progress, some headway. And it's a moment of like kind of respite. Uh, but the music remains absolutely like cold and it's just that kind of shivering ominous noise that is leaves you uncomfortable you don't get to be comfortable in this moment that you should have at least a sigh of relief you don't get that sigh of relief because we know that the danger is now still here and still strong and especially for these three guys and in the following scene with the muted palette as well right the visual palette yes exactly you, that you, kind of just gray blue. yeah it's just washed out but I can't wait to talk about this moment when Ludmilla gets to to see Vasily. Sure. Uh, that the way that is shot versus the music that is scoring it, the contrast mm-hmm. is so excellent. Yep, absolutely. And that's why this show, from the very first few frames, has set out with a certain tone, and it has maintained that tone throughout. There's no, there is no deviation from the tone. There is no deviation from the mission of this story and the way it's being told. Exactly. And what do what do we just talk about with Mr. Brooks and uh, you know other legendary film uh, ice pirates? <laughs> how <laughs> how much when when you you can see amateur filmmaking when the tone is fucking just all over the place. I don't mean to say amateur like they have no idea what they're doing, but just not you know they're not masterful fucking filmmaking. And a big it, part of that is capturing a tone and maintaining it you know what i'll say it's a symptom of it's a symptom of a lack of a clear direction which like doesn't mean the yeah. filmmaker doesn't have the the direction or the ambition it just may mean that the studio had a lot more and the executive producer had a lot different idea of what was handed over and and True. that's when you see a lot of things seem so tonally like a tonal kaleidoscope i think that's the what we described mr brooks as right yeah, and I mean, to think too, I, I feel like we've mentioned this before, we haven't talked about it too much. Each and every episode, all of them, are written by Craig Mazin, directed by Johan Renk. Uh, the two guys, the, the, only, the, the only two people writing and directing this, the same one for each episode. And I think that, for Smart. this, for, for a miniseries, yeah, that's, that's the fucking way to go. You have just this clear, concise vision that is maintained. It doesn't waver, it doesn't, you know, there are times when shows, especially longer running shows, benefit from having an a, a outside director who hasn't been on the same set for 10 years to come in and bring in a slightly different vision, shake things up, you know, add something that hasn't been there. But for this, when you're telling one elongated story with a very, you know, specific tone and theme, I think this that's the way to go to to keep it this one, you know, two man team's vision. 
What's interesting about Rank is he is um, he he made his bones in commercials and uh, music videos. Oh, well, that's, fuck, that's all tone right there. <laughs> that's like nothing but like, you know, impressionistic stir Correct. up a feeling in you. You you always get nervous, though, with that kind of, uh, you know, quick cut sort of visual storytelling of a music video. But I'm sure that's changed over the years compared to what it used to be. But he did direct an episode of The Walking Dead. Oh, interesting. One episode. episode that is. Vatos, season one, episode four. Oh, I remember that one. That's a good episode. Me too. Yeah, I remember that one too. (laughs) Also, I'm just looking. He directed uh, one of, I think, the very final David Bowie music video, Lazarus, which is fucking excellent. That that is crazy, man. That's an incredible music video. It's really eerie. It makes me cry, to be honest. Yeah, (laughs) it's really eerie. It's a really eerie video. Really awesome song, too. Everybody should check that out. Yeah. So, um... Ludmila. Ludmila. Oh, four days, four days after the explosion, she is in Moscow now uh, at Hospital 6 to come, yep. come and try and see her husband. And she's breaking all the rules. Well, breaking the rules, but also kind of the wink, wink, this is the way things are done. Like, ah, you can't do that, but you slide me a couple of bucks and you can do that. I'll just look the other way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so much bribery. Yep. Unsurprising. And I love how it's like not even something where she's like, oh, Am I going to have to bribe? She's like, okay, yeah, I brought bribe money. Here you go. Like, I, I know how this shit works. Too funny. Ugh, brutal, though. And we get to see the helicopter crews working. We, we cut away from them. Like you said, that, that sort of slow-mo, they're embracing, and we feel, we feel just a gut punch. Because well, even though it's, 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 a, it's a respite from this, it is, um, it's almost like the beginning of saying goodbye. Right. And, well, and also, the way it's shot, I mean, you change the music in this, you make a brighter, more happy score, and this could be the ending shot of a, a romantic movie of two characters who finally are reunited at the end. It has it, it is shot as if it's a happy reunion and things are now resolved. That's the way it's shot, and then the music is utterly haunting and yeah. eerie and dreadful, and it makes you just remember that they're happy right now, but this is, us as viewers, we know this is fleeting, and it's painful to watch these two people who don't know that it is a fleeting moment. <laughs> sure. Ugh, it's so rough. And uh, we have a check-in with uh, Legasov and Sherbina. Sherbina. The guys look cool in the helicopter, but you're just Dude, like, Dude, oh, they look you, so cool. You poor Ugh. bastards. This I looks know. like Fallout, right? <laughs> like it Fallout really characters. Does. Oh, but man. one thing I noticed in the helicopter, the dude who's actually like hanging the decimeter out of the you know the right. helicopter door, he has like his top button of his radiation suit just unbuttoned. You can just see his skin. I'm like, dude, dude, it, it, come doesn't on, it, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of thoughts about that this week. Is it is it sort of like the mockery that Fight Club makes of airplane safety precautions? <sighs> Kind of, yeah. At like, a certain point, does it even matter? Like, I, I wonder that. I don't know. See, I, I, I know very little about this type of this type of uh, radiation, acute radiation poisoning or exposure. I'm not even sure what it's called. But ARS, um, acute radiation syndrome. Aha. So I'm not sure how much a gas mask would help. I'm not sure how much. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it must a little. I don't know what the material of those suits is is made out of. Like, I don't like what 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 repels radiation. I don't even fucking know. Right? Is it keeping the uranium from pummeling into your body? If that's even what it is. See, I don't even know. Radiation uh, fallout. It's just nasty shit, man. Yeah, but this is this is the moment we get with Legasov, you know, being pissed, finding out about what the exclusion yes. zone is and where it's going to be. Right. 
And that's because he picks up on an element that was registered, I believe he says 200 kilometers away. Yeah, cesium-137. Not good. And mm-hmm. uh, he says it should be 30 kilometers wide, right? That's it. Or, or it's only 30 kilometers wide, and they're, they're, well, yeah. they're picking up on stuff 200 kilometers away. That this will not be good enough, yeah. I, I like and, a lot of, you know, we see this a couple times in this episode, which is Sherbina saying, I don't know. Yeah. And he's being honest. You, yeah, you absolutely. Think, right? He doesn't know. And that's just because they're so insular. Like, the, there's so many insular unknowns. Totally. He, and like a soft, like, is this just an arbitrary decision that's going to lead to what? How many lives? Mm-hmm. Mr. Career Party Man? <laughs> right. And you got to imagine some of those choices, you know, he, he talks about, he's like, is this just some arbitrary decision made by some, you know, co- political apparatchik, some career party man? And Trevina's like, I'm a career party man. <laughs> like, right. That's, that's me you're talking about. And, and you know, you got to imagine part of this whole, you know, this late stage in the USSR, very paranoid. They know things are going down. They're, they're you know, the KGB's on fucking overdrive in, in suspicion of everyone and everything, internal, external, all of it. You got to imagine that some of these decisions are coming from just this paranoid notion of we can't let this information slip out so we we want to we want to keep it to as few people as possible so yes we will let it be just some arbitrary decision by somebody much higher up and removed trying to contain you know the spread of well truth for one but yeah like it just ignores reality and that's what the big theme of this episode is Legasov being the man of science like you guys are just ignoring the fucking facts of reality you can't make decisions based off of this And it's such a crazy, like that historical backdrop can't be overstated. You know, the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union was a major, it, it has to be one of the craziest things I've ever lived through. Right. I mean, it happened in what, 90, 91. So it's crazy for these guys to be thinking like in four or five years, life as they know it is just over. Right. Your country is going to become like what, 10, 15 countries. (laughs) in a matter of 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 not much time and it's crazy to think about that it's crazy to imagine just oh in five years there will be um there will be essentially uh 10 different united states these these three states will be here these four i mean what the fuck man it's that's a crazy thing to think about and there's no way they don't see this now like you're saying like with the kgb being in overdrive uh, all of this cold war nonsense going on, things going back and forth. And, uh, and this thing slap right in the middle of it. Oh yeah. No, I mean, there's more reading I do about the historical context of this. There's a lot of people saying that this, this particular strain on their, their government and their resources and everything happening was definitely one of the tipping points leading them towards destruction of like, this was, this was too much for them to handle at this point. I mean, they handled it, but at the same time, like what a strain on your fucking resources and everything and your reputation, your world power. And, and, and that's the, that's the thing too, that, you know, with that, with that type of, and I like that we see it with this. We see that despite culture, human beings still, uh, there's, there's still a, there's still a, the streak of this desire for liberty within them. And we can see when things get really bad, you, you, the, 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 the sort of looming apparatus of the state becomes less scary to them. Right. That's why right. I love these minor guys. This is uh, oh, such a breath dude. of fresh air. Oh boy, they're they're so great. <laughs> Which we're going to get to in just a minute here. Um, this uh, well, this, the, the, this the next, between, the next uh, crisis is the temperature going up. I believe. 
That is it. Yeah, this is in Legasov is you know basically makes the point of well, this is, means the meltdown has officially begun. Like it is, it correct. The, the heat is actually starting to burn through the concrete. It's the cladding on the fuel rods. Meaning what? <laughs> the meltdown has begun. <clears throat> the face, the face, man. Skarsgård's face just so good. So just stern. a man, just so so tired of bad news. No <laughs> shit, like right? All he gets all day long, like oh fuck. The guy's got an iron chin. <laughs> oh, but yeah, this is this is the beginning of reality setting in for Ludmilla. That this happy reunion, this this things that maybe he's looking okay. You know, she walked in on him playing cards with his sure. other you know friend. You know, they were definitely burned, and you know they didn't look like they were having a great time. But they look like maybe they're recovering. The, the recovery's beginning. But in this moment, no. Brutal, man. She realizes how much worse it is. He's trying to just pull his own clothes off because they're just suffocating him. Just in total agony. Fucking terrible. Yep. Yep. It's brutal. The screaming and all that stuff. We just hear, it's it's a horror movie. The, the hospital is a horror film. Absolutely, man. Ugh. And that's, God, that, it's another just great narrative approach in this show, like this episode specifically, that we have Sherbina and Legasov, who are, you know, they're in communication with Gorbachev. So we have the very bird's eye view of the disaster and what, what's being done to handle it, contain it, and solve the problems that it's presenting. And then we cut back to Ludmilla and Vasily for the human toll of like what this shit actually looks like, you know, when it's happening to a human body. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to pace it. But um, there are great shots here. I I, uh, I commend this shot of Gorbs, which is this really cool close up of him. He, his whole body fills the frame, and his head just sort of hanging, and he's got that pin on his lapel. Oh yeah, CCCP. I, oh, I just love it, and I love him just pouring over the American papers. Exactly. So much about reputation and guarding Absolutely. their their the way they appear to the rest of the world. That's like of critical importance in their minds. And both, which is like we've talked about before, like that is true. That is actually important. But then at the same time, you're like, but is it as important as you think? Are you concentrating mm-hmm. on that more than you should be? Right. It, it's so much about it as, as being respected at best and maybe even feared. And um, right. yeah, like he said earlier, our, our, our ability to project that power really is, is matters to how powerful like what, what was the what was the quote in the last episode the, the perception of the power basically it's that old adage right the perception of our power is our power right that's it good memory <laughs> but uh he's calling his his field man that mr uh, yeah mr shabina and what are they talking about here matt well, this is when he, you know, Sherbina's trying to give him some good news. And well, we have successfully hmm. eliminated the possibility of, uh, you know, the steam explosion. We've drained all the tanks. That's good. We're, there's some good news for you. But at the same time, now we're learning, you know, he presents him with, like Asov estimates, there's a 50% chance that the core is going to breach the fuel pad, the meltdown, and get into the groundwater. Yeah. Another horrible possibility. Right. That was um that was the China syndrome's main threat looming. The idea of a Ugh. meltdown. It, it wasn't so much that it was going to go supernova. It was just more that it was going to melt down into the groundwater and just seep into everything. Yeah. Yep. And then you're pretty fucked. Right. When where does this groundwater go? Oh, the Pripyat River, uh which feeds into the uh the Dnieper, the water supply for oh, 50 million. 50 million people, not including, you know, livestock and crops. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal, right? No bigs. 
So Ugh. we're going to install a heat exchanger and lower the core temperature. <laughs> no big deal. And uh, to do that, well, we're going to need uh, all of the liquid nitrogen in the Soviet Union. Fuck. <laughs> to which Gorbachev's like, oh, all right. Well, I like, I like how I he says so. whatever you need, you have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's another one of these moments, too, where you can imagine that a little bit more of the reality on the ground has sunk in for Gorbachev, where he's like, well, fuck it. Like, we're going to, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do mm-hmm. then. But, dude, just to, I mean, like, that's another thing we got to talk about, too. The size, just the actual just land mass and, and resource size of the Soviet Union. It was fucking massive. It was gigantic. And to just say, yeah, us, that one of the biggest countries in the world, a former empire, we're going to need all of the liquid nitrogen in the entire country. Get all of it right here and now. That's yeah. such an insane request. That's Crazy. massive. <laughs> I like how Legosov's kind of getting shot down here, but... uh he starts in on the, if you mean when will Chernobyl be completely safe? Oh, uh, plutonium-239 is uh, 24,000 year half-life. So maybe we just should shave now within our lifetimes. And as he's sort of firing back at Gorbachev, I just love, love watching Sherbina just put the phone down for a second. He's so annoyed. <laughs> he's like, oh, fuck. He's like, this guy has no idea how close he is to getting in major trouble with this guy. Seriously. Ugh. But, but uh, yeah, he was trying to tell him about the evacuation stuff and... And uh, and Gorbachev just said, "That's not why you're there. Do what, do the thing that you're supposed to do, because the guy who made that call is doing the thing he's supposed to do." You know, right. but it's but it's still that thing of it's weird. It's almost like this reluctance to step outside of the assigned roles and the appeal to authority in that particular arena. It's really bizarre. Totally, that's what's so contradictory. Even in this moment where we see Gorbachev kind of acknowledging just the horrible reality of, okay, that's what the situation demands. All of the liquid nitrogen in the entire country, so be it. But then when he questions this decision about the exclusion zone, he's like, well, if he determined it, then he determined it. I don't want to think about it any more than that. Right. But, but, but <laughs> that's, you got to think about it more than that, than just trusting some guy somewhere. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I couldn't tell you what episode, and it was definitely a couple of years ago, but it was um, not this World Cup, but the prior World Cup. Um, I remember hearing about, like, say, um, the Netherlands or the Dutch, the Dutch football team, as it were. And they were comparing them to the South Korean football team. And they were doing this because some of these players play with each other outside of the World Cup when they're in leagues. You know, players from all over the world play all over the place. So you'll have, you know, a couple of Italian players, an English player, a Brazilian player, you know, on, on, in, on the same team sometimes. Uh, depending on the league. And they were talking about like, you know, a South Korean player, so much of the authority is based on the age and the length of time someone's been on a team. And you don't question that. And it's really mm-hmm. fascinating. It's just a, this hierarchical thing. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not a K- Korean cultural expert, so I couldn't tell you. I'm just telling you what was said on a fucking podcast about <laughs> soccer. Um, right. Just to make that clear. And it was essentially this, deferring to the authority of of the most senior veteran player in without question right whereas the dutch are just all opinionated they're like no you're wrong like <laughs> it, it like totally different like you w- w- the, the understanding i was being led to believe is that you have to kind of have a thick skin to deal with the dutch in that capacity because they're just going to say this is dumb i think this is the wrong thing Right, with no right. with no respect for your status, 
Um, and I thought that that's really interesting. And they said sometimes it would be a culture clash because you'll have a player on a team that's of a different culture and they're like, they're trying to communicate and the, the fucking, the manager's from Portugal, the, <laughs> this guy's from Italy, this guy's from Korea, this guy's from <laughs> Netherlands. And just thought that was really interesting. It actually made me think of this a little bit, this idea of, I, Gorbachev himself is just saying, I mean, obviously we don't know if this was actually said, I, I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how accurate this dialogue actually is. I'm sure a lot of this is uh, fictitious, but this idea of no, he, you, you were there to do your thing. It, it's almost like he slated him into this category, which is like, seems like this compulsion of the Soviet state to do. And then you stay in your fucking lane. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's pretty wild. Like your this is your role, and this role has very specific boundaries, and you don't step out of that or ask questions outside of that. That's it, right? And to be clear, that's not to say that that South Koreans are lemmings and that the Dutch are a bunch of opinionated assholes with no respect. But no, yeah. there's definitely cultural norms there that that would be would be challenging to get used to, right? For sure. So, um, I know, uh, man, I don't like the scene of these guys walking. And feeding Ooh. these dogs because I know what's coming you know next it's week. Coming. We're just gonna <laughs> waste them all. I mean, they allude to it in this episode. Oh, they, they talk sure about no, it. They, they 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 say it is a course of action. Yeah, it's it's coming. Yep. But um, but, he's describing what happens. Oh God! What was your take yeah. on this? Um, I really liked it. I actually did really like it because I, I think well for one. In one sense, structurally, you have a character explaining what you are going to see and also explaining yes. what you've already seen because you have that moment. I, I, you know, if you're a viewer who's just kind of just taking it all in, you're not reading about it and reading about radiation exposure, you have that scene with Ludmilla and Vasily hugging and you're like, okay, it still feels ominous because of this horrible fucking music, but maybe things are okay. And then when you hear Legasov <laughs> go, yes, there's actually a latency period where things seem okay. And then they get much, much worse. That's brutal. You, you, you put it together in your mind like, oh God, that's what I just saw. That was the latency period. And when he goes on to describe, and I think this is another important thing. We've talked about this some before. Um, I, I am of the opinion that you have to be pretty careful in certain certain movies, certain genres about the level of violence you do. There's got to be a, a reason that you're showing what you're showing. And sometimes it's so over the top, like fucking Kill Bill or Django. Like that's stylized. It's not trying to be realistic, and that's a it's almost like a comic book realm. Sure, yeah, it's pulp. Um, <laughs> but I actually think in moments like this, historical things, war things, you almost have a duty to be honest about the violence and the brutality, and to not to not clean it up, to not make it look better than it is. Like. To, to show to, to show that real people truly suffered and this is what it was like and this is why they suffered, I think is a part of the story and a necessary part of it. And I think him explaining it allow makes sure that viewers don't just see, you know, the horrible sights of the, of the bodies of these men that we're about to see and just be shaken by, ooh, that looks so bad. But to actually have an under a slight understanding at least of what is actually happening to them and explaining that they can't even be given pain medication. It's Um, also, it's also I'm warming you up for really intense, horrific imagery. Right. Of kind of like brace yourself, brace yourself, (laughs) get get ready. Um, But just to understand the process of it, that basically you are alive as you decompose. I mean, he says uh, after, you know, your bone marrow dies, your immune system, you know, shuts down and just gives out and your arteries and vessels just 
burst open, just come open like sieves, and you're just all of your fluids just running out into the cavities of your body. Uh, your soft tissues and skin and muscle just start to rot off of you, and you be. He's like th- three days to three weeks, you're dead, and they can't, they can't even, even give you morphine. Right, right. That's just oh, fuck, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny you the way you describe this idea of this historical event in the decision to. Um, to make sure the violence is shown because that's probably one of the things that started the resurgence in World War II, which was saving Private Ryan. Right. 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 I'm seeing the, it with a much more realistic view. When when the Higgins craft opens the door and you hear the whistle blow and those guys just start getting cut to pieces by the MG42s, you go, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this. Absolutely. I mean, we yeah. we had never seen anything like that ever. No, no, and, and, not, and not suddenly, platoon, not anything. Yeah, no. And suddenly, Band of Brothers comes out. Suddenly, it, it, you know, suddenly there's this resurgence in World War II history and films. It's it's funny how that happens. How how World War II fell into our zeitgeist in the late '90s because of Saving Private Ryan, and then all of the things that followed from that. Obviously, right. you got your historical nerds and your buffs who have always been into it, and you know were into it long before that. Obviously, but from the general public, it was an eye-opening experience. I think, and and I think this is too. And I and I agree with you. I think it is pretty important to probably show this violence. I think same thing. I mean, if you want to show, you know, you could say, despite the historical inaccuracy of Braveheart, I think that was another eye-opening moment where we go, what the fuck, man? Just chaos, hammers hitting faces and swords hitting people in the face. It was just like, what is happening? This, right. it's suddenly you go, okay, this combat is very brutal. Right, it drains it of all that like kind of mythos of like, yeah, ah, like the, we're the gonna glory parry of- and I'm gonna disarm you and I'm gonna kick you in the face. It's right. just chaos. It's just horrible, painful It's chaos. not swashbuckling, yeah. it's warfare. Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree think, yeah, with you. I think that's a good choice. And and here again, we get back to this what 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 are the other things I like about this moment is I like because these two men are talking about this, we know they're thinking about it. And it helps the audience start thinking about it. And I think that's important. Right? Right. We right. always wonder what these guys are thinking. That's something we don't know. We only know in the way they perform. So, obviously, whatever they're talking about, they're thinking about. So for them to start talking about this, I like that we know that Sherbina probably has a bit of a fear here. Like he's starting to think about the horrific nature of this. So this is another thing I think that this show has done for the past two episodes, which is very strong with Sherbina. Sherbina is getting information as we are. He's being told by Legasov and we are seeing it when we go to hospital scenes. It's awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just a slick way to tell the story. Um, it's it's almost like Sherbin is on this journey with us. Right, right. And, you know, I love the question he has, well, what about us? And Mm. he tells me, well, we haven't been exposed to as much of it, but we've still gotten a steady dose. So in time, cancer, you know, it's probably going to come. If not, if not cancers, other complications and sicknesses, we've got a couple of years, basically. Yeah, it scrambles (laughs) your DNA, man. I mean, like that is, that's so insane. Um, but Sherbina's reaction is like, well, I guess it seems like we got off a little lighter than some of the rest of them. No shit. Especially well, at, at Sherbina's age. I mean, he's not a, he's not a old man by any stretch, but he's not a young man. I mean, he's gotta be 60 something. Right. But, yeah. um, this yeah. is also our first glimpse of, uh, the KGB tale. Awesome. 
I've seen them before. It was that couple he lied to, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now I feel less bad about lying to him. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, when you think back on it, dude, it, that just actually dawned on me. He's probably He probably made the exact right decision in that moment to lie to them because they were KGB trying to make sure information wasn't For sure. Out. Yep. So for the fact sure, that he was sure. like, nope, everything's fine. They're like, that's what we wanted to fucking hear. Or else we would have followed you back to your room and shot you, probably. <laughs> or poisoned you. <laughs> fucking nerve agent. <laughs> Crazy. Yeesh. Um, Boy, them Ruskies love to poison people with nerve agents. Goddamn. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Disappear into black van for re-education. <laughs> Going to rot your face off. No, <laughs> no, you, you posted said- a... <laughs> posted a political blog media man said bad thing about Putin <laughs> time to die nice knowing you Sinsigal <laughs> <laughs> oh shit did I tell you that I uh, listened to a podcast that, uh, I think I did I think I did on last episode it was um, she was doing a this Russian woman who lives in New York now she was doing a she was doing a documentary on the Russian five, the five Russians who came to Detroit Red Wings in the nineties. I don't, maybe I didn't uh, mention this in the last part. If I did, I'm sorry. I don't think but, so. No. Okay, cool. So it'll be a very quick, brief story. The reason, the only reason I'm telling it is because she was talking about some of the cultural differences when she was younger and she's fully adapted now, but she was saying she always thought people in America were dumb because they always were just smiling. <laughs> yes, that's a big cultural difference. Yeah, it is a huge cultural difference because she's like they're smiling like idiots. But then yeah. I realized that's not what it is. But pretty crazy. Like you don't see any smiles on this fucking show. Not a what single the, one. I, I think it might have been like a like this American Life story or something about the very first McDonald's in post Soviet Russia, and that was one of the biggest difficulties the trainer guy had was to get the employees to smile. He's like, you got to all be <laughs> smiling, and they were like, that's what stupid. That's like what you know, not quite right in the head people do that's what dummies do in mm. russian culture it's like it's you look like a fool if you walk around smiling mm-hmm. he's like but no you guys you had a smile when customers come in <laughs> it was like this big thing of like no i promise it's not about looking dumb but that's like yeah that's a big that's why they always look so gruff <laughs> i talked to a german guy once and he was saying you know people don't do polite laughing in germany like i could i could totally imagine like that people talk and they don't go ha 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 like just like me constantly, <laughs> yeah. Well, whoever that's hilarious. By the way, you're definitely not German, but um, <laughs> no. yeah, they don't. They don't. Um, they don't do that. They don't use laughing as filler. Like they don't do the uh, yeah. nervous laughter thing. They right. laugh if something is funny. Oh, tough audience. That's that's how you know your comedy's really hitting if you're a comedian. <laughs> Get right a bunch on. of fucking Germans to laugh. <laughs> yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> oh, man. Stone faces. <laughs> yep. Too funny. It's just similar to Russian, you know, that that just, well, we're not going to walk around smiling, you know? <laughs> like, what are you fucking dumbass? Have you lived here? <laughs> Nothing to smile about. <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about this meeting between these two, because this is great. Oh, yeah, man. This is, uh, she is going down the numbers, crunching numbers on her own. Like, this is basically, you got to imagine, this is kind of off hours, you know, they're, they're supposed to be unwinding here. But she's Komiak, just, is that how you say it? What's that? Komiak, Komiak, Komiak. Um, Komiak. Yeah, she is. She is trying to figure out how it happened. Like, how mm. did it start? Because so far, you know, Legasov and uh, and you know Komiak both are all have been drawn into. It, it has happened. It's already happened. How do we mitigate the effects? How do we contain just the horrible violence of the disaster versus 
why did this happen and what caused it? And that <laughs> you got to imagine for two, you know, scientists that's in the back of their mind the whole time of like, what fucking caused exactly. this? Exactly. You just hear drawing an image of Sterling Archer. <laughs> Spy. <laughs> CIA oh, man. That'll be on the Russian version. The, <laughs> the Russian version, they'll draw like a Burt Reynolds looking guy with a mustache. Who is this <laughs> man here? <laughs> it was American big. That's funny, man. Why did it explode? And I worked over the numbers over and over and over, presuming the worst possible conditions in an RBMK reactor, and she came up with impossible. Impossible. Yet it did. Right. That's what I love. It's funny, because that goes back to the Dietlov stuff. And that's, that's one of the things we alluded to in episode one, which was, I don't have a contingency for my basement flooding 10 feet of water because that's just not happening where I am. Right. Right. There's no tsunamis that's going to reach me here. Knock on wood. It's not going to rain for 70 days. Right. (laughs) Right. So, and and that's almost like the like, well, that's not a thing that he can't even wrap his head around it. Obviously there's denial there, but there's also that, there's also that sort of blind trust in the, it is an impossibility. It does not happen. And see, that's the difference between them and guys like Dyatlov or the party guys. They run these numbers and go, well, see, it's impossible. Close this book, moving on. We'll we'll think about something else. We'll approach it from a different way, uh, and that's that. But for these guys, for the scientists, they're like, no, no, no. It's impossible, so we think, according to our numbers, so we must not know something. That just means there's a gap we need to fill. Yep. And she says... He says, you need to go to Hospital 6 in Moscow and you need to interview the survivors, the control room survivors. That's it. Because if we don't find out how this happened, it will happen again. Right. Goody. (laughs) Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Well, off to see the miners. Off to see the miners. My guys, man. (laughs) These are my guys. So fucking cold, dirty. I love them. (laughs) What's as big as a house burns 20 liters of fuel every hour. Puts out a shitload of smoke and noise and cuts an apple into three pieces. A Soviet machine designed for cutting an apple to four pieces. Awesome. <laughs> so good. Awesome. That's, that's the best. Vodka. That, is, that is government to a T as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the government the world over, dude. So funny. <laughs> Giant, bloated, ridiculous thing that doesn't do the thing right it's supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great. These Complicated all, Rube Goldberg machines with suits. These guys all roll in, and uh, I just love it. I I love the I love the blue collar like dudes, man. Like these guys are the shit. Oh yeah, they fucking crush it in this episode, man. Yeah, but fuck yeah, the prime minister of coal. No, Actually, that's de- it's definitely not his title. So ridiculous. Minister of Coal Industries, not minister. Prime Minister. There's a yeah. minister of everything. Does this guy not remind you of sort of like Ben Mendelssohn Light? Yes, I kept thinking that. I was like, yeah. he looks sort of like a like he's like Ben Mendelssohn's like younger brother. Right, right. Um, and I love Glukov, played by Alex Ferns. He was in a Bond film. He's Scottish. Oh, he got, this guy, yeah, yeah, he's got the look. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of movies, but um, he played in River City TV show. But he was in. Um, He's in a Bond film. I saw a picture of him, but I don't remember which. Which I don't remember <laughs> I which remember. one. Sadly, <laughs> he looks like he could be a good like henchman punching Bond in the face. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is awesome, but dude. These I, guys take such a different t- 
attack Oof. than any other character we've seen in this show so far. They are so different. Yes. Yes. And according according to to Craig on his on his podcast, the creator of the show, he was talking about how you know, obviously this is dramatized, you know, the, the actual dialogue. He's like, but this is the attitude and the, the way coal miners in, in Russia acted because their industry was so utterly necessary to keep absolutely. Russia going. Like it's yeah, probably absolutely. the most single most crucial industry in the entire country. So they had leverage. They've got like you yep. can't just shove the coal miners around and they fucking know it. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. they don't fucking let up. Yeah, cuz they're providing electricity, right? Exactly. To you the entire them. Soviet Union and let me tell you, without it, you're fucked. You're fucked. But fuck, this is so good. He's like, we need 100 men. You all need to get in the trucks and come with us. And that's that. And he's like, do you now? That's what you need, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead, start shooting. <laughs> you don't got enough bullets to kill us all. Dude, these rugged dudes, come on now. <laughs> oh, fuck. I love, I like yeah, it. You know what I like about it? I like how, I like how uh, Glukov, he just says, he doesn't say we'll kill you. He says, we'll just beat the crap out of you after you kill a bunch of people and a bunch of us are still alive. Exactly. Beat the living piss out of each of you. Uh, uh. And I'll tell you, I, I actually really like the, uh, I like these guys tapping this guy and getting him full of the coal dust. And they're just kind of jostling by him, bumping him around, getting his clothes all dirty, getting his face dirty. It's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, you know, it's... Uh, now you really look like the minister of coal. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. I think it's a cool scene. I think it's excellent. He, he even he, smiles a little, like, right? That's, that's he does. This tiny Matthew, little smile. Uh, Matthew Lewis left a great comment about that. He said, uh, one of many great scenes in, in this episode, I like that the minister eventually broke a small smile, realizing that there was a level of camaraderie in their pats. Sure. The dust went from an insult to a badge of honor in a couple of seconds. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good point of like, at first it definitely starts as like, fuck you pencil pusher boy. But then also at the same time, yeah, we understand that the job you're asking to do, us to do is probably very necessary. Fuck it. We'll do the job and get it done. Right. Here we go. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like, that. I like that a lot. I like, I do, I do appreciate the, he, 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 he was put in his place and once he was put in his place, it's almost like they respected him for a little bit, you know? Right. I, 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 I equate this to them tossing his hair a bit. Right. Right. Like, okay, you're the one in charge. Winky <laughs> wink. We know, but we're all, we are still all in this together actually. So <laughs> Uh, we get a look in on um, our doomed couple here. Oh, God. The most brutal shit in this episode, man. It's Vasily, right? Yeah, Vasily. You know how I always remember his name? Because it's the same as Vasily Zaitsev. Yeah, the sniper I knew you were going to say two. that. I knew Fuck you were yeah, going to say dog. that. <laughs> Fuck it. Love it. <laughs> oh, and I love that terrible movie, Enemy at the Gates. I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, Major Koenig, right? He was the German one. Yeah. Played by Ed Harris or some shit. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. <laughs> Hilarious. I know it's not good. Just let me have this. <laughs> Snipers. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> but um, he's still sort of, he's very cognizant. They're having a discussion. It, they're sort of enjoying each other's company, I guess you could say. Right. And he's, he's telling her, they told you not to touch me. It's not safe. Yep. They have a moment with the... Sunglasses. We get a little laugh here. Yeah, uh, this is such a nice little moment of, you know, what what 
more do you have right here? What more can you do? He can't leave this room. He can't leave the bed. So she starts looking out the window and describing, you know, all of <laughs> Moscow. Because I, I, I take it from this that both of them have never made it to Moscow right. before. Right. And he was even saying, he's like, I told you I'd make it here and, and get you to Moscow so you could finally see it. And she's describing, you know, seeing all the, the famous sites in Moscow. And and even though she can't actually see it, like her, I love that we cut to the view of the actual window and it's just, yep. you know, the side of the building. Like she sure. can't actually see these things. But she's like, oh, Oh yeah, you can see St. Basil's and the, the Kremlin, the Red Square, all it's of it. It's right here. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's so fucking sad, man. <laughs> yeah, he kind of looks like Nick Cage right now, <laughs> just like, a little bit. He does. Like he looks kind of like a Nick Cage character to me right now. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I yeah, that. I could see in uh, 1980s Nick Cage doing this. <laughs> I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. Ah. <laughs> uh. Um. So our girl goes to see our man Dietlov. Ooh, boy. Looking good. Uh, <laughs> mustache, bro. Oh, just all gone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well then, well, comrade nuclear physicist, beat it. If you don't have caviar and butter. <laughs> if you don't have a butter and caviar sandwich, <laughs> get the fuck out of my room. Yep. Uh, good old Dietlov. Yep. He ain't changed a bit. So he, he ain't t- talking. You think uh, you think uh, acute radiation syndrome would uh, would humble him, but nah, nah. <laughs> but <laughs> it's same uh, old, same old. I I do like that. It the, the the scene serves a purpose, and that's to see him physically. You go, wow, right, right. He's uh, he's looking pretty rough. Not as bad as uh, the next guys, but which right? That's that's why I like the scene because it's it's sort of wetting you up. It's setting you mm-hmm. to now. It's almost becomes a race of against time, right? She's like, "Shit, right, right." And that's and it's true, you know. As she goes through the in the sequence of her seeing these guys and interviewing them, they're all worse and worse and worse. And it it kind of provides a almost like chronological deterioration of this is how it's going to progress. Yep. So the miners get to Chernobyl. They do indeed. Ah, oh, and Trevina has so many great lines about the liner, the miners here. Don't lie to you them. Spent, yeah. You spent time with the miners. My advice, tell the truth. These men work in the dark. They see everything. Yeah, it's a great line. You're not going to bullshit them with our normal shit. <laughs> we need extra level special KGB lies for this one. <laughs> we need serious <laughs> high dosage lies. <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need some of those Chairman Charkov lies, man. Come on. <laughs> That guy's menacing as shit. Can't wait to talk about him. Oh, yeah. But I love, man, I love Glukov just waltzing in here. I love this. I, lo- I love this guy's, I don't know, his, what am I trying to say? <laughs> it's just the, the fucking way he, chutzpah? Just look at him. Just fucking look at him. Dude, when he comes in and sits down and he just puts the mask down, I was like, does this even work? And he's like, well, well, to an extent. And he just goes, hmm. And then just points to his pack of cigarettes. And he's like, oh, of course. And just gives him one. Doesn't even ask. Just points. Give me a fucking cigarette. <laughs> this is like this is like the Ron Jeremy body guy, you know? <laughs> he's oh, got that yeah. sort of like big guy swagger to him. Exactly. It's really funny. And his next question, his first question really is well, what's the job? Just yep. fucking lay it out. What are we doing? Yep. Well, well, here's what we're going to do. You have to get at this from underneath it. Um, what's above that? Oh, the core of the nuclear reactor, which is melting down. No big deal. Um, what? <sighs> and I like how he sort of physically is like, wait, like, like melting down into the ground. Literally. Yeah. Is it going to fall on top of us? No, no. You got six weeks. 
<laughs> Until that happens, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> and he lays it out for him. Yeah. Dimensions of where we're going to have to go in. And I love just how incisive his questions are. I mean, Sherbina's right about these guys see through all of it. Like, Legathoff is not lying to them here at all. Correct. At the same time, he's not laying out all of the danger because he's, he's like, you're going to have to start here, you know, 150 meters from the actual site and start digging in. And I love how he's just like, well, so the site that we're, you know, before we break ground, yeah, we might be shielded by some of the radiation by the, the earth itself once we're under it, but where right. we break ground, we're still only 150 meters from the core. So we're not protected. And he's like, well, yeah. Right. Like, did you? Yeah, they just don't have the time to approach it from further away. They're not going to make one of those, no. like, El Chapo tunnels, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> they they don't have time for that shit. Tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Take it easy, bros. I'm out of here. <laughs> See ya. You see that famous video of him just stepping off camera that they had oh, in his cell yeah. and disappearing <laughs> underground? It's the craziest thing ever. I know he's like a monster and all, but fuck, that is badass. That's crazy. <laughs> like, he's just shit. like, goodbye. He descends see into ya. the floor like a vampire. <laughs> Creep. Just fucking breaks out of prison. <laughs> goodbye. Fucking hell. <laughs> so yeah, that's the problem. With time being a factor, they can't dig from further away. They just, they gotta mm-hmm. go 150 meters from... I guess you'd say ground zero. That's but, it. But the questions are asked by Glukov. Well, we're not underground now. We're here now. Um, so I'm guessing we've already got some problems. He's just saying, I mean, you're not going to bullshit Glukov. No, no. Right? And I love, I love one of his first points uh, that he brings up. He's like, all right, we're going to need more men, like 400. And we're going to have to start working right. around the clock. And then he's like, well, you can start in the morning. And Glukov is the one who goes, nope, we start right now. I don't want my men here more, one second more than they need to be. Absolutely. Excellent. And yep. he fucking leaves on the line of when he holds up the mask. If these worked, you'd be wearing them and just tosses it back to him. Off mm-hmm. to work. It's funny when we think about this movie and we think about the Soviet Union at the time and we think about the politics surrounding all of this at the time and the deception and all of this jazz. And, um, and, uh, and we, we, one of the things we haven't talked a lot about in this series is leadership because there mm-hmm. has been none to really speak of that we would call sort of classically, in quotations, good leadership. Except right. with this guy. Oh, yeah, man. He leads from he the is, front. Exactly. He's honest. He's going to get the job done. You're not going to... He's not one of these party scum that you're going to seduce away and and he's going to be in the mansion while his men toil. That's just not exactly. going to happen. And exactly, he is a true man. leader of men. And that's one of the things I love about this Klukov character. I think he's great. He's very refreshing. And that's what I mean when I say he's a refreshing character. The miners are a refreshing sort of injection into this story. And I think it comes at the precisely best time. And I say that because of, because of the Ludmilla and Vasily story, which is our sort of B scenes in this is we get to see something positive, something that has a bit of levity, something that we can wrap our heads around these blue collar guys a little bit and, and not just get pummeled with the Ludmilla Vasily bad news stuff. Right, right. It's true. It's good, and you know, it's some. There's something to root for with these guys. Yep. Of they are here on a job that, you, like the divers, you know, is incredibly dangerous. But you also know they're a little more shielded. There's a little more hope with them, and because of just who they are, you're like, I want these guys to fucking make it out okay. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the closest thing we're gonna get to like a hero's journey in Chernobyl. 
And, and you know what's another interesting thing about about the Glukov character? And, and, you know, this is just the way, maybe because I'm a Westerner, I respond to leadership. But you feel confidence immediately with Glukov. Yeah. Like you feel yeah. a chance. Whereas every other time, like, I don't trust what these guys are saying. We're not getting the truth. We don't know. They're not doing it. It's with Glukov. That's why his crew hums the way it does, right? Right. There's just, he inspires. And I think that that's very important. And that's one of the things that I just thought was so great about this character and this whole introduction of, of these minor guys. Oh, absolutely. And also, I mean, in this next scene, like one of the best parts about it is that he fucking advocates for his boys right in front of his boys. He calls out, you know, the, I, I guess it's the colonel or the general nearby. Yep. He's like, hey, we need fans. Hey, you. Yeah. That guy's, a tough, here. that guy's a tough customer too. He drove the truck, yeah. right? He's the, yeah, exactly. I think it's Pickleoff um, or something. Right, right. Yeah. He comes up to him and tells him it's 50 degrees down there, which uh, that's 50 degrees Celsius, which I'm right. pretty sure in Fahrenheit is close to like 120, 125 Fahrenheit. Yeah. So yeah. it's fucking unbelievable. You know, when he, when he said that, and I looked up how much that actually, the temperature of that was, reminded me of this one time where <laughs> the only time I've ever worked in that temperature was when I was helping a buddy of mine's HVAC business installing uh, air conditioning units inside of the attics of these uh, apartment buildings that were getting renovated, like three-story apartment buildings. Brutal. Oh, my God, dude. Um, and it was me and just this one other dude, and we would go up there, work on it and, and, you know, fucking laying out the pipe and putting fucking all of the piping into the, the, the AC unit and just getting it ready. But we could only work five minutes at a time. You would just get soaked Absolutely. in sweat. You yep. know, I mean, and, and we were both working fucking shirtless up there because it was like you had no choice. You come back down the ladder, drink a bunch of water, sit down there for a couple minutes. All right, go back up, do five minutes more work. Took fucking forever. We, we installed, I think, three of them. Oh man, and it was it, we had a little mobile like a thermometer thing that we could just poke up in there and see what the temperature was, and I one of them was close to like one thirty. <laughs> fucking, brutal, it's almost dude. a sauna. Oh god, yeah, I've so I've nasty. done a couple of those too. I did once with my old man. I remember doing insulation work in an attic. Oh god, oh, and that sucks because you don't want to take your shirt off. It's light. No, the, the good it, news yeah. is is you're not doing a lot of heavy lifting. It's right. just itchy as shit. Oh, man, so in the itchy. summer. Uh, and then, of course, insulation. any kind of roofing job in the summer is just totally for the birds. That's where you got to start as early as possible in the morning if you're doing a roof. You're you're you're, oh, you're on the you roof by seven fifteen yeah. p.m. You know, a.m. <laughs> uh, excuse me, seven fifteen a.m. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Fifty Celsius is one twenty two. Ooh, fuck, that is brutal conditions. It's on and, and you're, there's no airflow down there. Right, and he's saying we can't work with the masks. We can't work uh, without them because we can't breathe. We need fans. And this is where, you know, the colonel is saying, for your own good, no fans. We can't kick up dust because that's not just dust. That's fucking irradiated dust. We cannot risk you getting that level of exposure. Yep. So you're just going to have to work in this fucking sweltering hellhole. Um, here's another word I want to use to describe. There's, there's, many, um, there's many emotional states you could use to describe this show. One of them would not be inspired until the arrival of Glukov. True. That's right? a very good point. You don't. You never yeah. quite ever feel inspired, <laughs> <laughs> right. right? You. I feel like you. You can admire the bravery. Sure. Uh, that. That. Yep. Especially of the divers. I'm like, holy shit! If those guys didn't get, you know, the fucking Russian equivalent of the Nobel Peace Prize, like yep. holy hell. Yep. Absolutely. The, the bravery involved in these is is it's stunning, but it's not. Uh, 
Hopefully. There's no question <laughs> about the heroics involved. No question. Oh, yeah. Um, so our girl goes to see Tuptanov, right? This is him, Tuptanov. Uh, and he's looking pretty Ooh, rough. Man, this is brutal. Good Lord. And I mean, he's still, you know, again, we he's looking much cognizant. worse than... What's that? He's still cognizant, right? He's cognizant. He looks worse than Dyatlov, but, you know, he's still... He, he can keep his eyes open. He's talking to her, tells her his name and his official title, like we were saying, that he was a 25-year-old senior reactor control chief engineer. He says it with pride. This mm-hmm. is like... This is his, you know, title that he earned, hopefully. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And... um she starts asking him some questions. What does she learn from him? Well, she learns that they did press the the basically the reactor shutdown button the, the to, to try button. and yeah. base, right to basically kill switch the whole thing, and that didn't work. Right, or if anything, it may have even kicked off the chain reaction from the way it sounds. Right, I love that he says he wants to tell. Yeah, I want to tell. I, I bet I he's been told truth. to tell nobody. I, I'm sure he's already been visited. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, as he we does, come to find out soon, the KGB's already tailing uh, Komulik. Yeah. Yeah, the AZ-5 button or whatever. I love this moment of humanity where, you know, his nose just starts leaking blood and she <sighs> sops it up. Right. Oh, it's such a good moment. Man. Like, and she's still being very careful because, you know, she is a scientist. She's staying, her keeps her face behind the glass, her gloves and everything on. But it's still a very human moment of, I'll help you. I'll get that. that that's you. why I love this moment. So that, that's, that's what makes you feel the dangers that Ludmila faces in a few mm-hmm. moments here. When you see how cautious, um, I keep forgetting her name. I'm terrible with her name. It's a weird Come, one. It's a weird one. Yeah. And of course, the one with a, a fictional name is the hardest. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I butchered this. Oh, come yuck. Come yuck. Come yuck. Come yuck. Um, <laughs> come yuck. But um, man, that guy getting wheeled out. Oof, he looks so oh. bad. Oh, looks so bad. It looks, they is, look like monsters, man. It's, it's really fucking crazy. Oh, it's unbelievable. Because, I mean, it's just their entire body, head to toe. Yep. And um, this nurse is trying to tell Ludmila, listen, you, you, have to, you have to take caution here. He's not Vasily anymore. He's something else. That's, that's a harsh thing to say. That's incredibly harsh. Um, he means yeah. he's a werewolf. Right, like you're saying, he's not a person anymore. Jesus, right? But at the same time, in a way, she's trying to say that, yeah, you can't think of him that way, and not not in the fullest sense, because it's like you you can't just behave around him the way you always have. Like he yeah. is literally dangerous to be around. It's not she his goes fault. about it in a weird way, but that's basically what she's saying, right? But I like how she levels with Lumila. Like, listen, there's a lot of people here. Do you understand? Like, there's a bunch of people just like him in this condition here. And that we are doing everything we can because obviously in this moment, the only thing that matters to Ludmilla is Vasily. And that makes sense. That's humanity. That's human beings, especially totally. in that moment where he's just uh, suffering so much and there's nothing you can do for him. Yeah. And like that, that's a big part of this too, of knowing, you know, she presses so hard, probably uh, obviously not fully understanding all of the danger and the effects of radiation, how it works. I mean, who of any of us know all of that, but at the same time, fully understanding that there's nothing I can do for him other than be here to just right. my presence and to, right. to not let him, you know, she says it, she's like, I don't want him to die alone. Right. Like she fully understands he's going to die. Like she's not, you know, deluding herself, but she's like, I don't want him to die alone. That's the only thing I can offer. 
let me offer that. Yes, absolutely. And boy, he looks so bad. It's truly truly horrific. It's truly horrific. And I feel like they do of this. She doesn't flinch, man. Them Russian chicks are tough. (laughs) But I, I love the fine line this episode manages to balance on of not gratuitously overshowing these guys and just like, you know, staring at the, the, the you know, hideous violence that's happening to their body, but also not shying away from it. Like, we're still going to have to look at it because Ludmilla had to look at it. And this is what they all had to experience. It's not exploitation. It's a it's not at perfect all. balance. Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, I mean, he's, is, uh, man, it is, it is really hard to look at. I mean, his nose has gone black. I mean, the skin, I mean, his entire skin is just dying. It's just coming off slowly. But she tells him, she tries to give him this little bit of good news here of we're having a baby. Yep. You're going to have a child. Yep. And he does have a slight smile. I'm I'm not going to lie. Kind of concerned for that kid around all these irradiated people. And (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm a little nervous about that. I... I'm guessing Chernobyl's not going to be like, yay, that's the final shot, like the <laughs> baby, and yay, it's fine. I, I'm, I don't think that's going to go right. Yeah, I don't think there's any happiness at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> My spidey tragedy senses are tingling. Yeah, that's man. for sure. Yeah. Ugh. Oh God. Well, fire goes out, so some good news, right? That's it. In in our guy Shabina, he's like, listen, I'm gonna. Break out the Campari. What is he drinking? I don't even know. <laughs> vodka. <laughs> Come on, babe. You know it's vodka. Is that what it is in that little glass? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Be. I could be. I thought. That, I but... thought it was carbonated for a second. Oh, maybe. Well, maybe. Fuck. I don't know. No, it, it like isn't. Vodka. It's not. It's got to be vodka. <laughs> vodka. And mm. um, yeah, crazy, huh? The, the miles will get it done in four weeks. So they're going to be two weeks ahead of schedule. This is awesome. Everything's going great. Have some of this. I know the job isn't over, but let's try a little bit. I like I like that we're starting to connect these men. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, Legasov is still just head in hands. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I still see. Like, that's what I was talking about earlier. That's like, the, it sucks. Uh, he has the curse of the knowledge, right? Exactly. Like, he doesn't even get these moments, like these little islands of hope before you learn how much is still is yet to, to come, all the burdens that are still you know, going to have to be overcome. Like, Legasov knows them all. Like, he's see at least, or at least a lot more than Sherbina. So it's like, even these little victories, he's still like, oh, but then this thing, and then this thing, and then this <laughs> thing. No, no joy. No joy. Um, I love the next scene with the miners and it's so hilarious, man. There's nothing more Russian than a miner dude with a hammer in one hand and his dick just swinging. <laughs> just swinging, covered in dust. He's like, doing what I must. <laughs> Bro, I told you it was freaking hot down here. We shed our skivvies to get to work. Dude, how? I mean, this is the most gangster shit in the world. He's like, we're mine like our fathers did. Dude. Fucking damn, dude. <laughs> You wouldn't give us fans. It's too hot for clothes. We're digging the old way, the way our fathers mind. Yep. <laughs> We're still wearing the fucking hats. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love how basically the soldier, you know, you know, came in and told Trebina and Legasov like, about like, uh, the miners, like, uh, we got to address this. They're all naked. But he, you know, basically he's like, what are you gonna fucking do about it, man? We're doing the job, and it's hot as shit down there. And they all mm-hmm. just kind of like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, just kind of back off. Like, what are you gonna say to them, really? Mm-hmm. You think Russia will show this part? You know, you know they love 
any possibility of gay stuff. <laughs> exactly. There's so about it. <laughs> Goddamn. But dude, and also right here, man, I got to say the brutal honesty from Sherbina, I oh, actually right. really respect. Right. When, Me too. when Glukov is like, so after all this, are they going to be looked after? And Sherbina's just like, I don't know. Right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blow smoke up your ass, man. I don't know. That was one of the points. That's that's what I was talking about a little earlier when I said he doesn't know some of these answers that are crucial, and it's and it just goes to show you, man. Uh, everybody's sort of it's all compartmentalized, so to speak. Yeah. Ugh. And fucking Glukov, just you don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just turns around, back to work. We go back to the uh, interview, I guess you'd say, and. She says, why didn't you initiate the emergency shutdown when your, your I think it was the wattage doubled? Why don't you That's press the it. AZ, British as shit, AZ5 <laughs> button. I reported the increase to Akimov, and he pressed the button. That's it. And, and she's says, saying, That's not possible. Well, yeah. you also said that this reactor's meltdown is not possible, but here we are. But here we fucking are. I swear and I love I how saw adamant him do it. he is. Yeah. yeah I exactly. saw him do it. I told him to do it, and I watched him do it. And, and that's he was talking what, about, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's when it exploded. That's what he says, or so he thought. Right. And the big, the big clue here that we learn is about the, like you said, the power jumping from 200 megawatts to 400 megawatts, mm-hmm. which is way higher than it's ever supposed to be. Right. For sure. And uh, she's going to go see Ak- Akimov. Oof. And this one, we don't even see, man. Mm. Just, uh, just his voice. I pressed it before oh. the explosion. Before she wonders, she's taking a lot of notes. KGB would love to put their hands on that. Oh boy, they sure would. Why would that happen? Right? She wants to know. I shut it down. I pressed AZ5. God, I mean, what's also so dark about this scene is, you know, he's sitting here suffering. Like he's in the middle of his own Mm -hmm. horrible agony. And what is he also constantly ruminating on? The guilt of, I did everything right. How did that happen? I did it everything right. Like he's still agonizing over feeling like he failed. Like, Mm -hmm. I caused this. I fucked it up. Even though he's trying to tell himself he did everything right. Even as he is just decomposing and suffering and like what Legasov said, just unimaginable pain. He's, that's what he's thinking about. Yeah. I love the decision not to show Akimov. Um, And I love that because we need to see Vasily and we need to see somebody in the hospital. We need, we need a Kamyak to be able to see somebody. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, but we didn't need to see it more than once. And, you know, we don't need to do the movie thing where, you know, there's a line of beds of everyone screaming. Right. We, that's, that's a little much. It's not necessary. I like the more personalized version of the telling of this story this way. It's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more real. Definitely. And Definitely. that's just the way it goes. As the, as we zoom the lens out, our, our, I guess you'd say our empathy sort of starts to get confused. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like there's there's something about the shock of seeing a room full of a bunch of people wounded and, and right. suffering, but you can't attach a lot. I mean, you don't understand their stories. You don't understand what happened. I mean, obviously you still feel awful for them. You mm-hmm. feel sympathy, but here we get these much closer intimate looks, you know, mm-hmm. this understanding of what uh, Vasily is losing and what he's gaining. I get the knowledge of I'm going to have a child, but at the same time I'm not going to see them like we get those more intimate sadnesses and, you know, happinesses. Yeah, personalities attached to it versus just the shock and horror of screaming wounded people. Right. Conversations, regrets, as you pointed out, him him considering I did everything right, I did everything right. 
But our lady, uh, Kamiak, she gets arrested by the KGB. <laughs> oh, indeed. Into after, the van. Uh, <laughs> after spotting uh, Ludmilla, you know, touching Vasily and saying, why did you let her in that room? Right. Inside the plastic. This is insane. Insane. Uh, and that's when she, you know, when she's like, I'm going to tell her, people are going to know about this. And KGB, who's going to know? <laughs> what are you who's talking, going to know about it? What are you talking about, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> not good uh, and uh, we go back to Moscow and we have uh, a fix your tie Sherbina tells him <laughs> I love that moment I just love how this is just not like a soft Serena right yeah fix your tie you need to look good yeah. and talk to me about this next scene oh boy well for one I love the massive painting in the background uh, <sighs> Ivan, Ivan the Terrible and his yeah. son, oh where he, I, I don't remember the entire story, but I know that uh, he killed his own son. Like, we hit him with a cane, and that, that's him in the moment holding him, regretting killing his own son. <laughs> that's <laughs> the looming image over this fucking meeting. Yippee. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is, again, Sherbina trying to at least up front the good news. The fire is out. The helicopter sorties have, have you know sorted that problem out. There's no more risk of a thermal explosion. Everyone and all of those people and everyone in this room are to be commended. A round of applause. Right. Um, just as a point of order, historically, Ivan the Terrible, the image is of Ivan the Terrible killing his son. Yeah, that's all I was saying. Oh, okay. I thought you said his son killing him. I, that's no, not- no, no. Yeah, he killed his son. Got it. With his cane. (laughs) Ivan the Terrible uh, died via stroke while playing chess. That's crazy. Ivan's the Terrible and his son Ivan. Yeah, November 16th, 1581, that piece of art. His, I've actually always really liked that. Like I, it's really before cool. I understood, yeah, even before I knew what that painting was of, I remember seeing it and just the expression on his face is like really powerful. <laughs> I just always remember, like there are some paintings where, you know, old Renaissance paintings, lots of people just kind of with like languid, unemotional looks on their faces while they pose like fucking angels or whatever. And in this one, this guy, his eyes is just wide open in terror. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a shocking expression. I've always remembered that painting. But yeah. boy, what a bummer of a painting to have it right before your fucking meeting room. Uh, just so you know, in 2013, an open letter was sent to the Russian Culture Ministry by Orthodox Christian activists. It alleged that the painting was offensive to Russians as it presented an untrue, distorted view of history. The letter asked the Russian Minister of Culture, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Vladimir uh, Medinsky, to remove it from public display. Ooh, and uh, Tretyakov Gallery objected. Good. <laughs> Fucking taking down art. Jesus. It's been vandalized a little bit, that painting. Weird. I'm sure those guys ended up fine who did that. (laughs) True. (laughs) Oops. Anyway, I'm sorry. Let's talk about the uh, the logistics here. You recognize this one of these men? Fucking A, baby. The witch father. Yeah. That voice. I I I remember. Lord Christ, save me from salvation, Christ Lord. Corruption. That's, corruption in my own home. Uh, uh, <laughs> dude, I remember seeing him and I was like, oh, that guy's kind of familiar. And the second he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, yep. shit, that's the dad from The Witch. <laughs> that fucking unmistakable voice. Oh, it's so good. I had seen him in the credits before, but I hadn't seen him up to this point. Well, if I did, I didn't remember. Yeah, I think he's been in this, you know, in prior meetings, but I don't think he's spoken until this episode. Got it. 
Well, the Soviet people have risen to the challenge. Anyone in this room should be commended. Let's have a round of applause. Mm-hmm. We're making clap, progress clap. here. <laughs> clap, clap, this clap, clap. When Legasov, the fucking party pooper, has to pipe up again. <laughs> sure, Bean is lucky. He's like, yeah, I give good, great news for clapping. You give bad news. <laughs> this is going to be good cop, bad cop routine. I'm the good cop. <laughs> you go tell them that horrible shit nobody wants to hear. <laughs> have you seen my son play a vampire in true blood? <laughs> Even I think it's hot. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, I get it, you know. He, there's a reason he was picked to be Tarzan. Looks good without a shirt. <laughs> I gave him that body. My genes. <laughs> Uncorrupted by radioactive isotopes. <laughs> oh, fuck. I love how he, I love how he panders to the KGB, though. We've, we've done our best to protect the security interests of the state. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> And everyone just looks at Charkov. We've yeah. hoped we have lived up to the highest standards of the KGB. You have. You'll have. <laughs> That's just like the perfect representation of what I imagine a KGB guy looks like, man. Just oh, that yeah. older, completely stone-faced guy with glasses to make him even seem a little unthreatening. Probably fake glasses. <laughs> oh, make man. him seem yeah. frail. And he's just sitting here like, I have your friend in a KGB prison. It's fine. Exactly. Everything's under control. But I love how Legasov delivers this stuff. All right, he is, he is true. That is the good news. The immediate danger has been you know, avoided, but now the long war must begin. And he talks to talk, starts to talk about just the enormous amount of radioactive debris, uh, approximately 2,600 square kilometers. Yippee. Yo, boy. And this is when he really dives into without, I, did you notice how he doesn't say like, and say our current exclusion zone is not good enough and we got to do better. He just goes ahead and says, yep. that's how big the area is contaminated and we must make sure that we evacuate that entire area. So mm-hmm. contradicting the, the already yes. officially made decision without outright saying so. And he's nervous that's, as shit. Yeah, man. That's the fucking dance he has to do. Mm-hmm. But this is when he says, listen, we're talking... We need to destroy everything. Animals, oh, man. topsoil, trees. We can't have wind pick this stuff up. We cannot spread the corruption. Right. Wow. I mean, it is, again, one of the things about the show that keeps impressing me too is that some of the biggest like jaw drop moments and shocker moments I've had are Legasov talking. Legasov yes. talking about what the situation really is, is, is almost... And, you know, and this is all certainly Jared Harris's performance, which is, you know, fucking stellar. You know, he wears so much guilt and burden and, and apprehension as he gives this, but he, he doesn't flinch in giving it and telling the truth as it needs to be told. But at the same time, like, this is the most shocking stuff where he has to lay out, this is how profound this is. Because that's where, you know, we talked about, I think on the last episode, I think a lot of you know, ordinary people's impression of when they hear the word nuclear or nuclear accident, nuclear disaster, they think, you know, you look over your shoulder and you're like, well, I don't see a mushroom cloud. So I guess it's sure. at least somewhat okay. Yep. And him having to lay out of how the problem is so much harder to pin down than that, harder to identify. And honestly, a lot bigger, spreading out so much further than you really expect. This this kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversations, which is this idea of this sort of invisible death. Right. Because if there's one thing a nuclear bomb isn't, is invisible. <laughs> it's very visible. It's very obvious what's happening 
to anything nearby, which is, I mean, disintegration. It's, it's utter annihilation. It's the, it's the people on the outskirts of that that really have the invisible slow death. It's brutal. Yeah. I mean, shit, dude. He talks about we're going to have to rip up the top layer of Earth yeah. for 100 square kilometers and bury it underneath itself so that, you know, the rain and the wind doesn't pick up dust or, and run off the dirt, mm-hmm. you know, irradiated dirt to more places. We have to literally flip the ground upside down yeah. for 100 square kilometers. Oh, and by the way, we also need... Uh, three quarters of a million men in three years for the quote liquidation end quote. Oh, oh, oh. So much, man. It's just yeah. a step. I mean, like, it, not even to talk about just the danger of the whole situation, which by now is fucking obvious. Like we've seen all the, the fallout and the people, you know, dying. But at the same time, just coordinating the fucking logistics to handle this. The, the amount of people that are going to have to be involved and, and, and all planned and coordinated every single thing that they're doing and making sure they're doing it correctly. Like, God, the manpower behind all of this is just, it shakes your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty intense, man. Um, it's funny. I, I, one of the things you hear about with like, I guess it may be nuclear weapons or, or even just military ordinance is the idea of air burst versus ground burst. You know, air burst contaminates less of the actual ground, but it destroys more of a wider area because it's not absorbed by the earth so much. Like a bomb blows up right before it hits the ground kind of thing. I think think Hiroshima was an air burst bomb. I think, yeah, they both were Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Pretty pretty sure. sure. Yeah. But um, I always thought about that. Like the idea of contamination is so much worse when it's, you know, into the very earth. Right. Just for so long too wild but this is also when we get that that line from our boy how much time how many men will you require <laughs> a fucking voice a million in three years no big deal no bigs round oh, them up <laughs> get it going oh great um and deaths oh thousands maybe tens of thousands so and gorbachev just has to say okay be- begin i guess <laughs> Go ahead, get started. And you know, I like I like they purposely show Gorbachev sort of reacting, like there's some humanity there, and they just show Sharkoff just staring there with shark eyes. Oh, oh yeah, Sharkoff with shark eyes. And I like this confrontation in the hallway. My associate was wrestling on it. Oh, I love this. Like, I think I think the stereotypical thing here is, you know, if you wrote this as an action movie, the stereotypical spy thing here is for Charkoff to menace Legasov into shutting his mouth. Right. But instead he just plays ignorant. I love oh, that. Yeah. That's so much more creepy and spy-like to me. It's And it's all just equivocation, talking without mm-hmm. really talking. You're like, oh, yeah. well, yeah. And he's no like, well, kidding. you're the deputy. You're the deputy chairman of the KGB. You must know about things. He's like, oh, yeah, because I'm the deputy. That's why I don't have to bother with arresting people anymore. Yeah, like, I don't know all about all this day-to-day dude, shit. What are you talking he's about? He's just fencing. I love mm-hmm. it. Parry, parry, <laughs> thrusts. Yep, I don't, I don't worry about such things. Yeah, and then he goes to leave. Um, but yeah. you are bothering with having us followed, and that's when Trebian's like, "Ah, no, let's leave." Yeah. Uh, I love that you've heard stories far. about us. When I hear them, I even I am shocked. But we are <laughs> not what people say. I love that. Oh, I yeah. think that's really cool writing. Now, I don't know if Charkov is a real guy. Um, I don't know if the U.S. knew who the head of the KGB was. Maybe they did. I don't know. But, I'm um, pretty sure, but I haven't looked it up. You did look it up? I, I, no, I said I haven't. I haven't either. 
But um, I love, I love how he just says we're a circle of accountability. People following us, people following them, people following me. Everyone's being followed. It's it's accountability. There's nothing personal. Basically, is kind of what he said. <laughs> a circle of accountability. Yep. <laughs> We're all spying on each other. We're all making each other equally terrified and paranoid at all fucking times. <laughs> Old Russian proverb, trust but verify. Now that I actually do like. <laughs> and the Americans think that Ronald Reagan thought that up. That's hilarious. <laughs> but um, can you imagine? And then he tries to leave again, right? It was very nice speaking with you. And finally, man, Legasov, I like that. I need her. I mean, he's pleading. Yeah. Yeah, And that's when he just says, cool, are you going to be accountable for her? Which suddenly means he's admitting as much. Right, right. And just pointing out that, like basically saying, if anything she does that we don't like, that falls on you now. Mm-hmm. That's basically what he's saying. He's like, cool, yeah, you're going to be accountable for her? That means your head's on the chopping block. Don't fuck yep. up. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about him sitting with her, because this is awesome. Oh, it's so good. Commissar, is that Commissar Manuel? Commissar. They were fucking spy in our chat. I think Charkov (laughs) is a fictional character. Yeah, okay, dude, whatever you say, Commissar. It's probably a lion. That's probably Charkov himself. Ban, quick, ban him. (laughs) Suddenly my power goes out of my house. Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh, shit. I hear boots. (laughs) Um, I like this dialogue between these two. This is great. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought I was stupid. <laughs> yeah. I like this. You are who you are and you can't let this go despite which is clearly a danger to you. Yeah. I mean, We're outside of KGB the, cell. I mean, that's dangerous, man. That's a much more immediate threat. Right. Right. And that's, I mean, this is kind of where I, I can even just feel the show pivoting from the disaster to the cover-up within these moments of this is now the danger characters like Legasov and Kumluk will have to deal with of we're the ones trying to get to the bottom of this and speak truth to power and power doesn't like it. That's yeah. that's the direction we're starting to go now of we're going to have to get into why this happened. And that is a story that the Soviet Union is not going to want to get out. Yeah. Viktor Chebrikov. Viktor Mikhailovich Chebrikov. Um, chairman of the committee for state security. Um, and he look at his picture, only mackerel. He looks just like him. Oh my God. He does. Wow. Yep. Victor Shebrikov. Shebrikov. He is, uh, yeah, not much known. One little paragraph and a half about him. Go figure. (laughs) That sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. I have seen many men die. (laughs) <laughs> uh, clearly based on this cat right oh for sure I mean KGB from 82 to 88 gee think he had anything to do with Chernobyl keeping quiet about Chernobyl <laughs> no surely not <laughs> awesome anyway but yeah this is basically when they're talking about that we're gonna have to pursue this no matter what yeah, I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to have to be involved in these decisions where I'm essentially ordering people to their death mm-hmm. but we have yeah. to solve it. We don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how he's not even talking about the choice there of obeying authority or, or trying to you know, just do their job. He's talking about getting, you know, we have to obey our like, moral obligation to the truth. Yeah. And this is the big reveal to Legasov about the uh, AZ-5 button. They both yeah. confirmed that they pressed it. 
both of them. And I love mm-hmm. how she says it. She's like, I would have normally chalked that up to delusion or their you know, bad memory or them trying to cover for their own mistakes. Yep. But they both confirmed and they were adamant. Yeah, and, and, and this kind of shocks Legas off into this moment of sort of distracted silence as she's saying, you know, uh, they both confirmed it and, right, and she says she believes them. Right. And that's when and she that's, says, I mean, well, then you need to pursue it. Yeah, no matter what. And, you know, I think the, the implication there being that if they were running a routine safety test and they did everything correctly and pressed the shutdown button when it was supposed to be pressed and this was the outcome... We have so many other RBMK reactors that will probably be up for safety tests, and this could very much happen again. Right. And uh, she's going to go back to the hospital and interview them again, which is clearly dangerous, right back into the mouth of the lion. Oh, so terrifying. Yeah, but that's that's what they have to do. They're a scientist pursuing the truth. Yep. And uh, we see the troops coming. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Doing their uh, interrogation thing or, or moving thing, getting people rounded up thing, and and I believe this is episode end with this really insane, the like, mass grave. Yeah, and that's one of those things Oof. where it's like it it looks so cold as if it's almost like you know. I feel like if you if you you could take it in the least charitable way of like ah this is some like cold Soviet engineering mm-hmm. of like we're just going to dump them here we're not going to make a big to do of their graves it's part of hiding the truth but I think in a lot of ways they were actually so irradiated it's like we might as well just bury them together because we're going to have to seal them all mm-hmm. yeah like it's it's that bad I, I kind of chuckled a little I was like you couldn't wait for the cement mixer to roll in after they disperse. <laughs> Holy shit, man. <laughs> I mean, there is, you know, people want to stay to see it be fully covered, you know, they watch the dirt go in, I guess. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, That's just that fucking dude in his own, like jumpsuit smoking concrete a cigarette. Boys. Like, yeah. Yeah. the fucking concrete on there. There's a big load. <laughs> Good government contract, though. Question. Um, as you listened to the companion podcast, were some of the images, the photographs being held, real people? Oh, as far as the ones they were holding at, like the funeral? Yeah. I don't think they got in, I don't think they said anything about that, okay. um, whether or I'm not. i curious. But they did say that I know this one was, of them is the actor, but I, the other one I wasn't sure about. There's two, oh, okay. there's two photos. One's clearly Vasily, so obviously it's an actor. I didn't know if there was a little like shout out, like, oh, family pictures of real shit. people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would have been an interesting choice. But yeah, no, the, the, man, that, this the, is the cement mixer coming over the hill. It's just brutal. So brutal, man. And just to see the process again, showing us the, the terror, the magnitude of what happened to these guys, these, these already, you know, poor dead men. And that the, the terror of what's happened to them is still not over. Like we have to wrap them in plastic. We have to put them in a, in a wooden box and seal that. And then we have to put them in a zinc metal container and mm-hmm. weld it shut. And right. then we have to pour concrete over it because their fucking corpses are dangerous. <laughs> what are they? Dracula and his brides in there, man? Fucking right? Like, Insane. God damn. It's just so, oh, it's so much. So much. And there's oh. troops there with like, firearms I, that was such a weird thing I, I thought are they gonna do some sort of salute are they there as an honor guard I, it was it was kind of weird seeing the the soldiers there maybe they're just responsible for watching over the 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 sufficient sort of uh what am i trying to say 
the procedure of this burial to make sure it's done as instructed. Right. Yeah, maybe so. That's kind of how I took it. That was a little bit of like a, you know, a military unit with, you know, kind of like being buried with honors as much as that we can give when we have to dump concrete over your metal coffin. Yeah. Ugh. But boy, what haunting imagery of just the, the close-ups on the, the concrete swelling over the, the metal coffins and just, you know, Ludmilla's face taking up the entire frame, you know, kind of forcing us to look at her, to look yeah. at her crying. Ugh. Heavy. Yep, brutal. God, it's, it's, whew, that music, man. That music gets me. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Oh, episode fucking three. <laughs> Happy go lucky. Ugh. Yeah. Yippee. <laughs> Yippee da da do day. Good times. <laughs> well, listener comments? Listener comments, baby boy. All right, T. I've got one from Hannah Brown. She says, I'm a brown. I'm a brown. Oi. She says, as each episode progresses, there's something respectable about what links all of these people will go to for their country, even in the face of death. The miners know they just have to get on with it. Also, this could be the best example of makeup and prosthetics on those poor dying firemen that I have ever seen. And I genuinely hope that the department gets some awards for it. I definitely think this will be getting nominated for a lot of awards. Good stuff. Maja Katunin says, for those who aren't familiar with it, I recommend looking up the story of Hisashi Oichi to see what happens when someone is kept alive for 83 days after after receiving 17 sievert blasts of radiation. Be warned, though, the photos are very graphic. The most infamous photo often attached to this case is actually speculated to be one of the Chernobyl firefighters, but that's a whole other internet rabbit hole. Just thought I'd mention it if anyone is in for some more gruesome shit after this episode. I did look at the at least some of the pictures, the article about it, and they are ah hard to fucking look at. Not gonna lie, yeah, pretty pretty sad story. Poor Hisachi. Yeah. Well, at least they're not gonna have to uh, have to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's brutal. <laughs> it's what the fuck I'm saying? <laughs> Ugh. All right. Who else? We got oh, Mr. Matthew Lewis. Want to read his second comment? I can't imagine the burden of making the decisions that Boris, Lagasov, and others had to make throughout. In episode two, they asked to send three men to likely death to avert an almost certain disaster. In this episode, they brought in 400 miners to work for weeks on an effort that had less than a 50-50 chance of being needed at all. As it turns out, the core never penetrated the concrete, and I believe that over 100 miners died from their exposure. That's really good. Uh, I'm glad Matthew brought that up because that's something we didn't talk about. And that's true that the core didn't actually breach the concrete pad. Uh, you know, that was it's a 50 50 shot and they had to be careful. But at the end of the day, you know, that had to be something that haunted Legasov of that. We brought in these miners to, to basically handle that possibility, that eventuality that could happen. And it didn't. But a lot of men did still suffer and die because right. of it. Right. Brutal. Brutal. Um, I think I'm good. Unless you want to do anyone else. I think I'm good. Awesome. All right. So, I uh, any final thoughts on this shit? Ooh, damn, man. Uh, it's fucking good. It's really good. I'm enjoying the show a lot, even though it's the most dreadfully fucking sad show that I've watched in so long. Yeah. Um, but I, I am liking, I'm really starting to enjoy this emerging story that we can see with um, Kalmuk and, and Legasov of that they know they're going to be going up against 
power, basically. Uh, they're, they're going to be going against the grain of the entire Soviet you know, government. Yep. And that they feel they need to. They feel the, the moral burden to at this point. And I, I, I'm enjoying that, that story kind of emerging out of this disaster story. Yeah. Ugh, I can't wait, man. I, uh, I think this is a great episode of television. And um, I think it's probably setting us up for, obviously, for some horrible shit. You know, uh, I'm guessing you're going to see soldiers roaming, a, roaming a Pripyat just wasting pets, which sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> sounds pretty rough. <laughs> pretty fucking brutal. Um, brutal for the pets and brutal for the guys who have to do it. And, yeah. um, and uh, like I said, I, I'm concerned for Ludmilla's baby. And, um, and, uh, I, I, I am, I am happy that we got the introduction of the miners. I think, I think it, it's this perfect hinge between sort of like the beginning and the end of this series. Cause we're right in the middle here with episode three. And, um, it was nice to see inspiration. It was nice to see leadership that we could rally behind. And, uh, it was cool to see a man who took the responsibility to do what he had to do. And, uh, and it had nothing to do with, um, yeah, he wasn't bullied. Like I, I just, I really liked the, the Glukov character. I think he was great. And, great. Yeah. um, like I said, we continue to get the story told by way of Sherbina discovering things that we discover. And, um, I just think if we're going to be showing these poor bastards succumb to acute radiation syndrome, that uh, it's good to sort of break it up with some of the little brief moments of, of levity with uh, Glukov and the miners. Totally. Yeah. You know, and I, I just, I'm glad we were talking about the miners again because I forgot there's a really interesting fact. Uh, the real, the real life Valerie uh, Legasov was born in Tulla, the same uh, the town that those miners were brought in from. Uh, and that, that place, that city only had 300,000 inhabitants. So it's actually very possible that he knew some of the miners and maybe their families. So, fuck. He mm-hmm. had a connection to those guys. Awesome. Intense, man. But, ah, what a fucking great episode of TV. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Mr. Anderson, thank you very much. Thanks you. Thanks you to all of the people who tuned in to listen to this live. Thank you to everyone who's listening to this who may have discovered us because of this. Welcome. And uh, don't forget to visit us on the web at LibertyGeek.net. Right? We got all kinds of shows, Mr. Anderson. All right. We are going to uh, get out of here. And uh, that's that. We'll catch you guys on the flip side.